0: Hey, welcome to the Sounds Like a Movement podcast. I'm your host, CJ Cassiata. Well, by now everybody knows the terrible, terrible tragedy that happened in Orlando this past week. And I gotta be honest i i haven't known I haven't known what to say. I don't. I don't really want to add to all of the discussion on social media because I don't. I don't think it matters that I say something else. I don't think it matters that I say, "Hey, I'm praying for for so and so on social media." I just and maybe I'm wrong. I, I don't. I'm not judging anybody else for doing. That. I've got friends who have said beautiful things, beautiful things this past weekend that I've taken in and I've gone, "Man, that's amazing. That's right." But I just I, I feel like anything I would have said would have felt forced. Uh, but this is a community here on the podcast. It's it's a vibrant community. you people listen faithfully, so it's a place where I feel like I can express what's what's on my mind and, and and honestly, my mind is 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 tired right now. it's tired. I'm not an extremist about anything political or cultural for the most part. I, I see the gray much much easier than I do black and white. I just do uh, but but I'm tired and'm I'm, I'm weary, and I need to find some hope again to the lgbt community who are our brothers and sisters in this human race we are all a part of i am deeply deeply sorry we we humans are better than this my prayers are with you to my friends in orlando my prayers are with you i don't know what's going to take i know that the people i've interviewed on this podcast are pretty smart and i've interviewed i've interviewed about 50 people so far Maybe we should put them in charge for a while. I don't know. But I do know this. Two quick things. One, we love a simple story as a culture. But we can't always combat complexity with simple stories. That is what leads to extremism. That is what leads to pendulums that swing too far. We must, must, must be willing To seek the gray, to seek the complex, even when it seems easier to do the opposite. Two, movement starts small. We've heard that throughout every episode of this podcast. Movement start with individual actions. They start locally. They start anonymously. Our tiny actions matter, I think, much more than we give them credit for. And that's all I'll say. I, I honestly can't think of a better guest for this week's episode, in particular, than my friend Harris. He goes by Harris the uh, Third. This guy's dedicated the season of his life that he is in to telling the kinds of stories that restore order, that restore imagination. Harris is an illusionist. He's a storyteller. He started performing magic professionally when he was a kid, like a kid, kid, not like a kid, like a teenager, like a kid. He runs this remarkable gathering in Nashville called Story. You may have heard of it. It's where creative teams all over the world learn and network with creative professionals on what it means to do this thing that we humans uniquely do, called storytelling. I will let him tell. Us more about it in the interview. So here we go, Harris the Third, on the Sounds Like a Movement podcast. The tension is the point. It is not to be denied. It's to be sought out. It's the narrative
1: that lets us know we're onto something. When you really can come from a place of vulnerability, when you can come from a place of of friendship and kinship and understanding, I really think our messages come across at a different level. And people are then more responsive and open to hearing what we have to say, and they feel immediately connected to this thing that we hope will get out into the
0: world. But if you really train your voice, you know, if you really pay attention to the particular, that's that's where your power is before movements are ever remembered for being extraordinary they are more often than not criticized for being weird but in a sea of same weird wins art is to remain in that tension yeah. and to tell the truth let's let's go back we always like to go back to the very beginning okay you're you're a kid where'd you where'd you grow up
1: Southeast Tennessee, little small town called Evansville. It's about 45 minutes north of Chattanooga, hour and 15 from Knoxville, out in the middle of nowhere.
0: And it seems like from a really early age, you started developing this passion for, for story and for magic. And yeah. tell, tell me about that. Well, when I was nine
1: years old, um, I was obsessed with baseball and I wasn't any good at baseball. I just, <laughs> I, I, I don't even, I think it was baseball because of baseball cards. I think the the young entrepreneur in me was fascinated by these little pieces of paper that I could trade to my friends for money
0: that are worth so much now. <laughs> I wish,
1: I wish, uh, but yeah. So I was super into baseball, and I remember begging for this baseball glove. I my parents had minimum wage jobs, no money. We didn't have money to buy cool stuff, and so anything I asked for, I asked for for Christmas. So I picked out this glove, came home, told every member of my family what I wanted. Christmas time arrives. The only present I remember getting that year was a box of magic tricks, an old magic kit. And yeah, I remember doing my first trick. I mean, I thought it was stupid at first. Days go by, I'm bored. I do my first trick from mom and dad. They're just like, how in the world did you do that? And I, I remember it was the first time at that <laughs> point in my life where someone else had looked at me with a look of awe and amazement in response to something that I had done. And I think it was that feeling that first got me hooked.
0: Well, that's that's really pivotal for a kid, even just to be valid, you know, validated by their parents. For sure, yeah. And Even I, if it's something as trivial, you know, as trivial as that, but that that ended up really creating a career for you from mm-hmm. a pretty early age. Yeah,
1: yeah. It took about two years uh, for me to finally get paid. You know, <laughs> when I was 11 years old, I finally booked like an official paid show. Yeah. Um, twenty five dollars. I still remember getting that twenty five dollars and be like, I just made twenty five dollars in like half an hour. This is amazing. <laughs> and to an 11 year old kid, that's so much money because you could buy like a bunch of stuff at Walmart with it. Yeah. And so yeah, fast forward. I was 16 years old performing on cruise ships in the Caribbean and touring around the country doing shows in multiple states and by 18 I'd traveled to like probably five or six countries internationally and toured around the world literally.
0: Man and what was your favorite like your favorite trick like the thing that you would just go to and you knew the crowd would just go wild every time. Uh, It was like old Houdini stuff we had this signature
1: called metamorphosis I haven't done it in years (laughs) but you know my uh we would lock an assistant up in handcuffs and then tie her up in an old canvas mailbag and then lock her inside this packing crate. And I did it differently than all other magicians did it because I brought audience volunteers up on stage to stand around the box so they could see behind it and on the sides so we were, there was no tricks. They inspected every inch of the box and the handcuffs and the locks and the bag and everything seemed so robust, you know, and then instantly I jump on top of the 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 box, throw this curtain up in the air, and when it falls down, it's the assistant that was locked up in the handcuffs in the bag inside the crate. And then as fast as possible, like the assistants, everybody, they all unlock the box, untie the bag, and I'm inside the bag wearing the handcuffs. Oh, so it's this instant metamorphosis, this switching of places and
0: to it blew crazy. people's minds. I think I think one of the things you either get or you don't when you're doing magic mm-hmm. is you're really you're really telling a story. Sure. And the story almost becomes the thing that captures audiences so much that you can kind of do whatever you want. It's sort of the, yeah. the, the avenue or the conduit for all the sleight-of-hand stuff. Exactly. I mean, magic is a narrative if you think
1: about it because it's not real. I mean, everything I'm doing on stage isn't really magic. They're just these clever tricks and illusions. But the audience is willing to suspend disbelief for mm-hmm. a few moments to just kind of be captivated by it all. And you know, this is the intellectual side of their brain that's trying to figure it all out but they're also experiencing these feelings of awe and wonder and mystery. And so, yeah, it is ultimately there is a story being told whether the majority of magicians and illusionists realize that they're storytellers or not. is yeah. what we're all kind of doing. And so I, I think I recognized that probably five, six years ago and just embraced it. Actually almost realizing that I think I got into magic because I was a storyteller as a kid. My right. grandfather used to tell me stories and I didn't realize it, but my subconscious was like, trying to find something to latch onto a, a medium a channel for me to tell stories through yeah so I loved magic as a hobby but all those years I didn't realize how secondary it was to storytelling I thought it was the focus the whole time and it wasn't
0: it's so funny I think you talk to any kid with sort of a creative bent and they're all really looking to do the same thing and it comes back to stories and comes back yeah. to how can I I tell? really funny, interesting, unique, compelling stories. And it's like whatever you put in front of them first, is kind of like what they latch onto, or whatever they they gravitate to. So it's like, you know, it could be a guitar, it could be a magic set like you, it could be, uh, you know, a, a high eight camera, I remember getting, you know, begging my parents for, you know, yeah. one of those little super eight kind of cameras that and we did crazy stuff, like before, <laughs> Final Cut was invented and all that yeah, stuff, man. or at least before it was like a yeah. con- a consumer product. We would take these uh, my dad's laptop because he was an IT guy, and we would like we would basically dim all the lights and we would create these PowerPoint presentations nice. and we would just film. Oh, that's awesome! The screen and they were like they were our opening our opening credits for our movies that It reminds me of jj abrams you know, all <laughs>
1: stories of being a kid and like taping all this film together yep and, yeah. yeah We had
0: these two vcrs and we figured out how to like dub over a soundtrack from a cd player mm-hmm. to you know vcr1 and vcr2 and you know, the tape looked like crap by the third or fourth because it's going through totally. all of these multiple layers yeah and now you know we're doing this podcast on a laptop that's you know 15 inches wide know, it's just it's amazing crazy. and less than an inch thick seriously <laughs> so yeah so so Illusions um, and and entertaining kind of through that lens is sort of one part of your life, but pretty recently you kind of made this big jump as a as a creative and as an entrepreneur to owning this conference called Story. And I'd love for you to just kind of walk us through that journey a bit of how you went from guy who gets in front of people and just blows their mind through these magic tricks to I'm going to be somebody who owns a conference and more of a facilitator. Sure. Empresario.
1: Yeah. I mean, you want the, you want the, like the behind the scenes, transparent version of the story or the
0: PR version of the story? That's, you know, that's the kind of stories (laughs) we're interested in here at the sounds like a movement podcast is the real ones.
1: Yeah. You know, I started attending story as a conference in 2012. Uh, my buddy, Chad told me about it and he was working in publishing and he's like, man, you got to come to this thing. It feels like it's perfect for you. And I went kind of skeptical. been to conferences and there are, you know, none of them, when you, when you label yourself a creativity conference, you know, that's what made me so skeptical. I'm like, "Uh uh-huh. Right. So, you know, I show (laughs) up and it was amazing. And it connected with me on a soul level in a way that I didn't expect it to because of the way it, it brought up this these different conversations about spirituality and creativity and, Um, I was just so inspired by everything on stage. It was less about instructing me and teaching me things and Mm. more of just inspiring me, asking the why questions, exposing me to to other artists of different disciplines about their creative process and how they created what they did. So it totally just sucked me in, and I was hooked. Fast forward to 2014, had become decent friends with Ben, the owner and producer and founder of Story. And he asked me to speak that stage and give a talk, and now I'm like surrounded by you know, speakers who work for Disney and the creative directors from Cirque du Soleil. And I'm just like, this is crazy who I'm sharing the stage with and was all in. And Ben has started going through some kind of creative ADD, I think. I think he was like a lot of entrepreneurs and guys who start ideas. They launch this thing. They pour their life into it for years. Uh, And by that point, Story was five, six years old. And I think he was just ready to move on and start something else. And he wanted to go work on a novel and a screenplay. And, Um, to make a really long story short, he called me after story 2015, or I think someone texted me and said, Hey, you should call Ben. I think (laughs) you guys should talk. And so I called Ben and he's like, you know, I've been watching you been you've been doing your own thing, touring and performing and speaking for years. You're super creative. And the last couple of years I've watched you serve as a creative consultant and to help other people design their experiences. And you've been plugged into a lot of other conferences I think you might be the perfect person to take this thing over and and steward this story brand and and help it continue to live within that that tension of the space that it fills. And so um yeah, somehow I don't know if he talked me into it or if I talked myself into <laughs> it or I just secretly thought this is a dream gig, but yep. yeah, yeah, acquired story and here we are and it's fun because I I am a part of the tribe that I am trying to lead and serve, yeah. you know. I think a lot of conference directors find themselves in a position where they go what do you do for a living? Oh, I run a conference. Well, when someone asks me what I do for a living, I'm a creative, I'm out there performing and creating material and consulting with other people. And I also happen to run this conference for creatives. So it's really like a chance for me to do stuff and hang out with my peers for a couple of days,
0: which I I feel like that's a good, that's a good process to have. That's a good, you know, you're doing, you can't really run a conference we gathering for creatives that teach you know I, I think the word creative is kind of weird like creators and makers like people who actually sure. create stuff yeah. without doing it yourself that, that that brings you i think some some it, you know it gives you some authority some skin in the game yeah
1: yeah and, and the more i think about it that is that's kind of the entrepreneurial side of the story but there is this other side that's just like i believe in it it's yeah. almost a calling you know like I believe in the power of story. I believe it's how ideas spread. I believe stories can literally change the world. I know that's a phrase that people just kind of throw out. Sure. Let's go change the world. And like, I, I can't necessarily change the world by myself, but collectively storytellers can literally create movements. Right. And shift ideas and entire cultures. And I mean, like Martin Luther King was a storyteller. A lot of people think of him as an activist and he gave speeches and, but I have a dream was literally him going, Hey, I've, I want to establish this new narrative. I want you to help reimagine what's possible and what could be. And I'm going to cast that vision and invite you guys to come join me in writing that story. Right? Good point. And so, yeah, I believe in the power of story. And that's why I, I I didn't want to see story go away. It's so unique and so special. I was like, man, someone has to take this movement and continue pushing it forward.
0: I love that phrase, new narrative. Like that's what, that's kind of what we're in the business of doing movement making, right? Is, is putting new narratives out there. Yeah. It's interesting. That's really cool. Yeah. I just
1: gave a, I just gave a talk yesterday in Chattanooga about the role of imagination and creativity, which is kind of our theme this year, of story 2016. And, uh, we invited a bunch of people to come and all the people that came worked in different creative industries. And there was this one girl there who brought her entire team and she works for a pregnancy crisis center. Hmm. And at first I thought, what is she doing? Here? What is she doing here? Yeah. And by the end, you could you know, she was the person who was taking the most notes while I was talking. And wow. I, I went over and talked to her afterwards and she said, I totally get it now. Now I understand what I do. And I said, What is that? And she says, I've always known that I'm offering women a hope, but now I know that I'm giving them the opportunity to write a different story. Wow. And then we had this conversation about how those women are already using their imaginations. They're just imagining all the negative things that are going to happen, which is why they feel this personal crisis. Right? Mm. So they're spending their life in worry, but worry is simply a misuse of their imagination. And so all she's doing is coming in and saying, you're already using your imagination, but let's reimagine what's possible rather than using your imagination to worry about all the things that you think could <laughs> happen.
0: Worry is a misuse of your imagination. I've never heard that before. That's, that's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep that one. Yeah, maybe I should write that down. Yeah, too. I'm going to keep that. I'm going to store it. Worry is a misuse. And that's really what it is, though. Yeah. And I think that was a fun thing that, I mean, I, I know you've been using a quote by uh, by Walt Disney. Yeah. For this this conference. And I think that was something that he did. I'm just kind of processing this out loud right now. But mm-hmm. he did so well in those yeah. movies. Is he he personified and he exemplified both sides of, of, of the imagination. And mm-hmm. if you look at every film, and if, even if you look at some of the attractions and some of the entertainment stuff that they do now at Disney World that kind of pays homage to him, you know, you've got the, the, the whimsical sort of wonderful side of imagination, and then you got yeah. the dark side, right? And yeah. all of these characters, be it, you know, Scar or Cruella de or, you know, the Wicked Queen, they exemplify kind of this, this negative side of imagination. It's still imagination. It's still mm-hmm. kind of brings you into this place that you've never totally quite been before yeah
1: yeah They're embracing reality right imagination isn't just for fairy tales and a lot of people would think that disney is in the business of writing and telling stories that are fairy tales but those fairy tales are very much right examples of reality i'm also fascinated too by you know now disney has delved into the world of pixar you know Mm -hmm. with them together and they're all you know, John Lasseter is always like executive producer of everything Disney makes and yep. everything that Pixar makes. And so I'm always fascinated by how those two worlds came together. But, you know, Andrew Stanton's talked a lot about how early on when they were first making Toy Story, a lot of the Disney folks said, there's no villain. It needs a villain. And he was like, we want to be able to tell a story without a villain, but still identify the reality of conflict. Yep. And so, you know, the conflict in the story wasn't this like evil person necessarily as much as it was this tension between you know, Woody and Buzz's story and how their friendship isn't working out. And yeah. so, yeah, I'm just fascinated by by all of that stuff right now. I love that. That Disney quote is amazing. Maybe we should even share that. Share the know? quote, it's, share the quote. Because it, while it became our sort of theme for 2016's conference, I do feel like it's it's almost like my life's theme for the next five years. You know, it was that much of a shift for me when I, the epiphany I have when I read that quote. And it, was, it happened after I'd watched a presidential debate, you know, and everything's <laughs> so divisive and I'm frustrated and it feels so negative. And so I think it hit me really hard because I was feeling a lot of chaos. It felt like the country and the world was in chaos. And so when Disney started a quote with, that's what we storytellers do, which is what he said. He said, that's what we storytellers do. We restore order mm. with imagination. And that's what hooked me. Cause I'm like, the idea of restoring order right now seems like a really great idea. Yeah. So when he said we restore order with what? Imagination. So that's our tool. And then what happens? He said we restore order with imagination and instill hope. Yeah. Again and again and again. And so I love that because it, it kinda it kinda makes me feel like storytellers have this responsibility, this superpower almost, right? Yeah. Like we're the people that restore order amongst all this chaos by helping people reimagine what could be.
0: And then I think what I'm learning even just from this conversation right now is the opposite can be true we can we have the ability to create chaos yes. with imagination which i think is what we're seeing a lot right now yes. in these presidential debates in our our government in our culture but you know the storyteller that i think wants to to bring light and wants to bring you know positive change to the world or at least to our world you know that again i i'm, I'm with you on that whole change the world stuff it's like that's just, everybody talks about that but what if we could just change our sphere our little our little world you know yeah. uh, but we get the opportunity i think to to restore order with imagination it's it's a it's a two-sided coin
1: yeah well that's what a movement is you know like I, yeah. it's we we all become cynical if we be like i'm going to go change the world but if it's if it's truly a movement that means there's this collective effort and so if we're all trying to change our own worlds collectively we will end up changing the way the world looks
0: so so let's get super meta for a minute all right all right (laughs) so what's the story of you taking on story like where are you right now in this process of going okay in September we're gonna do this conference (laughs) and back about a year a year and a half ago I bought this conference (laughs) <laughs> we want to do all of this stuff. What like what are you feeling right now? How do you want to turn? I know you've said I want Story to be a movement. I don't want it yeah. just to be a conference. I want it, it to have this.
1: It just feels so much bigger than me. Yeah. You know, I remember being at a G conference a few months ago, listening to one of the leaders of IDEO, famous, you know, epic design firm out of Silicon Valley, and you know he's the founder of IDEO is a Approaching retirement age, and I remember them asking him, "So, what does this season of your career look like? What are you doing? Are you still hands-on designing vending machines for Mm -hmm. Coke or Pepsi or whatever?" And and he's like, "I build the stages that other people perform on." And I remember that was my greatest takeaway from from being a part of that event because it hit me. I've spent the last twenty years performing on stages literally around the world. You know, yeah. Like these next, this next season of my life is about building the stages that other people perform on. And so, I think where I am personally is just this. I'm feeling this almost weight and responsibility that this isn't just a business venture, Mm -hmm. but like all of a sudden I'm a part of something for maybe the first time in my life that isn't focused on like my personal career or ambitions. Yeah. You know, like we, we live in a world where if you're a freelancer or you're somewhat, you could, you're quote unquote self-employed like I am, you just have to embrace the hustle and shameless self-promotion. Yeah. Like I've, I've literally had to spend 20 years of my life saying I'm awesome. You should book me. And <laughs> now all of a sudden I'm bragging on what all these amazing other creative people are doing. I'm like, yeah. look at all this stuff we're collaborating on. Isn't it amazing? Look how awesome this person is. Yeah. And that is super refreshing. And that's why I feel like I'm pouring so much of my energy and heart into this thing. And it's not just a business venture. I definitely am feeling the weight of that. Sure. You know, like I kind of bet the farm on this idea of believing in shaping a tribe and community of storytellers and how we have the ability to impact and, The cultures that we live and work and play, so there is that weight of like, gosh, I don't want to have to sell my house and you know like move my family back to another small town and you know because I (laughs) lost my shirt on this this idea. And like, if you look at the investment that I made to acquire Story, a lot of my friends are like, dude, there's so many other things that would have been much (laughs) more lucrative for that figure of of money. But I'm like, you know what? But this is what I believe in. Yeah. This is this is my calling and this is also my craft. You know. Yeah. So.
0: Well, we need i think we need more investments like that we need more people like you willing to to bet the farm on things that matter it seems like to kind of sum that up it, it you're you're going from main character to narrator mm. and i feel like a narrator what they do is they set the stage for all of these characters for all of these you know individuals to basically tell their story to to do what they do uh, the narrator's still really important but it's also this kind of giant step back. You can't really have a story without a main voice sort of guiding the whole thing. Totally. It's interesting. Yeah. And, and even in the, the context of like all of this talk about building platforms and I, I wonder if what's his name? I mean, I love IDEO, but I don't know the guy's name who retired. I can't remember his name. Yeah. But yeah. well, and it's probably purposeful. He probably doesn't want us to, <laughs> to, to yeah. know his name, yeah. but I've, I've sure as hell heard of IDEO, yeah. you know, yeah, and that's an interesting have... That's an interesting, uh yeah, juxtaposition I mean, if you right five there. Years
1: ago, what does success look like for you? It's like, well, you know, it looks like a lot of things. Not really necessarily how most of us would define success, but whatever that looks like, it probably is. It probably is necessary that people know who Harris the Third is. Right. I don't necessarily feel that way anymore. Yeah. You know, because this is about something that is so much bigger than
0: just me. We want to build platforms, not necessarily for ourselves, but for others. Yeah. I okay. saw. I saw something the other day. Some online course or whatever and the whole headline was you deserve a life of what was it of purpose productivity and profit I'm like, no you don't none of us do <laughs> none of us do yeah, yeah we are our our work is a gift yeah you know to other people so yeah, man, i i see that in you
1: yeah that's and it, it goes back to the roots of why i also fell in love with magic yeah know? magic is this thing that toys with the idea of what's possible i mean mm-hmm. we magicians do what is seemingly impossible, not because we literally have this weird supernatural power to do it, but we have the ability to create an illusion that Mm -hmm. anything is possible. And it's, it's weird that that I'm now living and working in that world of imagination and wonder, because that's what storytellers do, right? Yeah. That's what I've been doing as an illusionist. And, so yeah, it's, it's just really cool how those two worlds have merged together.
0: So, so take a minute and just brag on story 2016. Why is oh it going to be awesome?
1: Uh, uh, the collaboration on yeah. the experience is going to be incredible. The lineup of speakers is amazing. You know, we have everyone from people like Casey Neistat, two and a half million YouTube subscribers. The guy I don't know how can, that guy sleeps. The guy who can literally snap on Snapchat and move the needle on anything, you yeah. know, and a million Instagram followers. It's just crazy. And so, you know, his background is at HBO winning filmmaking awards. And so here's a guy that took what a lot of young filmmakers are pursuing as the end game. And he's like, I don't wanna do that anymore. I just want to be myself and not have this like creative control held over me. I'm just gonna tell stories the way I want to tell them. So yeah. he just embraces YouTube before YouTube is even a thing and blows up. So there's so much to learn from guys like him. Jeremy Cowart, you know, another guy who's taking his incredible talent and then used it to build this platform that really isn't about him. He's doing all these things that have are literally changing the world. You know, yep. it's changing the world. Some of the worlds that people live in. Um, so, uh, Rick Rickadall, one of the guys from DreamWorks animation, he's one of only two executives that have been a part of DreamWorks, for the full 20 year history of the company. Wow. Here's a guy who, because he's been there for so long, was a part of the early filmmaking days for DreamWorks, like Shrek, you know, Shrek's success, but you know, now his job is, but, you know, he's like a children's entertainment veteran. So his job is to take a story that's on a screen and bring it to life by going, how can this be an interactive app that kids interact with with the characters or how, what's the merchandising on this look like? Nicholas Smith from Disney Imagineering, you know, his background is in architecture and graphic design. He's doing similar things, but in a different world, you know, Disney is telling these amazing stories and then they bring them to him. It's yeah. like, Hey, Hey Nick, you got to, got to take this story and turn it into a three-dimensional space that people can actually walk through it a theme wow. park so they still feel the story so they that they they're taken to another world um Man. hannah Brincher talking about the creative writing process um you know there's this little guy named cj who's going <laughs> to give this awesome talk so <laughs> yeah just an amazing lineup of really incredible talent and all the surprises and the things that take place in between again because story is not just a conference that you come to for like to learn and be instructed on things. That's yeah. just something that naturally happens at the end of the day. It's fuel. It's fuel for the creative class. Yeah. And so people are coming to get filled up and they're leaving inspired.
0: I mean, for those of you that are listening, we've had Jeremy on the podcast. We're going to have Hannah. I'm literally editing that. I think, you know, this week, but both of them just un- what I love about everybody that you mentioned, sans, the CJ guy, whatever, but <laughs> you know, you've got people who a multidiscipline. So they're using their creativity in, in different tangible ways b are like the professional's professional so you're not just getting somebody going up there going i think the creative process is like this like no like you can look at my body of work and then three they all and i don't even know if you meant to to say this i think it just came naturally everybody you mentioned is not only doing the thing that they do for a living there's a huge huge Y factor to that right yeah so dreamworks guy wants to you know educate the next generation of kids and do that in in ways using like all this kind of different you know different media then you've got Casey who's going I think I could actually be whatever you say whatever you mean successful is but I, I think I could actually make a go of this filmmaking thing without having to kind of play the game I can I could be myself and do that Jeremy Jeremy's like a walking. Just annoying. I don't even understand that guy. I love he's like the, <laughs> I call him the unassuming genius. Like he yeah. just, but his heart for for humanity and for for others is just crazy. And he's figured out how to kind of blend worlds that should not exist together. You know yeah. I think and and uh, and do it really well. Yeah. Alan, so yeah, Dan,
1: Dan Goods from uh, NASA. You know JPL. He's the visual strategist for Jet Propulsion Laboratories. Like, so here's a dude who his background is in graphic design, and he's having to talk to all these like science geeks and nerds who can't talk to normal people. Yeah. You know, and he's having to take these complex scientific ideas and like learn how to translate them visually so that normal people can understand what NASA's up to. So and what JPL's building. And now he's doing all these art installations and in airports and museums around the world about stars. And I remember talking to him a few months ago and he's like, Yeah, I just found somebody else who could who could create another grain of sand for me. I'm like, what do you mean by create? He's like, Well they drill a hole in it. I'm like, <laughs> You drilled a hole in a grain of sand? He's like, yeah, it's this really cool art project. And he starts talking about it. I'm just like, wow, there's so many amazing people out there to be inspired by.
0: So one of the things I love about story, and again, we touched on this a little bit, is that there's a lot of conferences, a lot of gatherings, and there's a lot of material out there mm-hmm. aimed at creative people, aimed at creators. But there's more of a, I, I would say, the majority of stuff is like a how-to stuff. Mm-hmm. It's how to be better at this, how to manage yeah. your broadcast. Should I
1: edit my film and... Adobe Premiere yeah
0: which is great and I think that's one of the beautiful things about the internet I think and correct me if I'm wrong where where story kind of fits into that whole conversation is you guys really are focusing on the why you guys are figuring out like how are our souls how are are some of the mysterious stuff that's hard to explain Mm -hmm. how is that connected to the stuff that we're creating whether we work for NASA or for Dreamworks or we've got our own print shop somewhere.
1: Yeah, totally. You know, I think story gathering is is a two-day conference that takes two things that already exist in other conferences and melds them together somehow. Huh. So there I feel like there are conferences and workshops out there that are focused on this internal part of who you are as a person. Yeah. But not necessarily has anything to do with creatives or producing art. Yeah. And then we have creativity conferences that are just about the sheer business and commerce of storytelling, how to market and produce better ads and create better films and take better photos, right? And so I think what story has done is you know, it, it lives within that tension of taking those two worlds and bringing them together, which forces you to ask some really interesting questions. Mm. So if you're saying who you are as a person, what's in your heart and your soul, whether you like it or not, is permeating all the stories that you tell so if your job is you're a creative director at an agency in New York and a water company comes in it's like your job is to sell this bottle of water tell a story on television through a 30 second ad whether you like it or not it's really hard as a creative person to not allow your fingerprints to still be on that bottle of water right <laughs> We'll so, look at Don
0: Draper kind of the the exactly, archetype of that
1: Yeah, it's a great example. Yeah, you know, like here here's this guy who's got all these internal dilemmas and trying to figure out his identity and place in the world and he's trying to like cut that part of them side off so it doesn't affect his work mm-hmm. but that's impossible we yep. all like this as, as much of as much as we want to believe that there are people out there capable of dissecting that and separating those two worlds it's not possible who you are is a part of everything that you do yeah and so i think story is a place where we just you know we just willing to embrace that it's and, great you know if it doesn't matter what your worldview is you're going to feel welcome at story but you know this you're going to hear people on stage talk about what their worldview might be, not because they're trying to convince you that their way is right. That's not the point. They just believe that their quote-unquote spirituality cannot be disconnected from their creativity, and therefore it's permeating all the work that they do, and that's a part of their creative process.
0: But you may not want to go to story if you don't want to grow as a human being, or I think you'll <laughs> be challenged. I think you'll
1: be challenged, and it's it's kind of hard to describe. It's, yeah, it just kind of happens. It's 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 like we're never going to put a speaker on stage at Story who's there, and it's like, hey, I hired you to come speak to the Story community because I want you to like help them be better people, or I want you to talk to them about their heart. Right. I just want you to talk about your creative process and who you are as a creative, and you know, tell like inspire us, and then through that, like they're going to ask the right questions to force us to ask questions of ourselves that push us outside of our comfort zones. And we end up growing as a result of it.
0: Yeah. If you force it, which is kind of any, it's a, it's a kind of universal truth of creativity. If you, if you force the soul aspect, it ends up coming out. Not very, (laughs) not very soulful. Totally. And I, I love that you get that. And I think again, you being a practitioner of, you know and then create a creative professional for you know how many I guess gosh what have you been doing it since you were six you said you got paid yeah, at 16 20, 20 years, 20 years you got I paid guess. at what was it when, when did you get paid 25 11, 11 wow I, d-
1: I did about 50 shows the year I was 14 I remember I remember being 15 years old and my parents going at the end of the year filing my tax return and be like well you just made six figures and you're 15 years old and that's more money than we've made in the last two years combined you know that's incredible so yeah which is that's another whole conversation about the challenges that created me right as a child having that kind of money right um but yeah i you know i think the other thing too is all the conferences that like you said if you try to force it it doesn't really work but then there are conferences that just try to just we're not going to have that conversation because we don't want to offend people right or we just don't believe in that kind of like mojo stuff like yeah you know and so let's just, just talk about how we're just going to talk about how and then it feels so like there's no heart there yeah. you know it's just a bunch of practitioners walking around learning how to do things technically yeah. better.
0: And you guys are marrying the how and the heart. Yeah. Which I love about that. Yeah. Wow. Well, I think you bring a ton of wisdom to story. I think I think this is just the beginning, like the tip of the iceberg of what story is actually going to to do in the hearts and minds of creators and makers everywhere. Yeah, thanks, man. And I'm really, really excited about it. I'm excited too. you know, I, I appreciate just your supportive story.
1: It's, it's, it's kind of the awkward transition year in story. You know, the tribe <laughs> is, there's a tribe of storytellers out there that have been a part of story as a conference for so long. Um, and that they're the people that rose up and said, no, no, there can't not be a story conference. And yeah. so, you know, the fact that story gathering is taking place this year, there are people who are excited about that. And I think there's a bunch of people out there going, what's going on? You know, it's like the little family owned restaurant that has the sign out front <laughs> says under new management. So, like, right. what's going on over there? And so, yeah, it's a big risk, but we're asking people just, uh, but
0: know. everything you just mentioned right now is the reason why we watch, read, smell, sense stories is, yeah. is for those transitional parts for the parts that, that cause us to like literally just move to the edge of our seats and go, what's going to happen next. And that's, that's exactly what's happening now. And it's, that's why I would, argue it's the best time to go and check this thing out
1: well it sounds like I'm just saying it because I'm on your podcast but you know I don't want story gathering to be a two day conference I I really do want it to be a movement Mm -hmm. you know and that again that sounds so cliche and I know you understand that too because you're embracing that that word as well but um, yeah I want this to be a movement
0: hey thanks for joining us Harris the third if you would like to attend story you can register and use the coupon code movement to get $50 off when you sign up at storygathering.com. It's only for this month, June 2016. It expires at the end of the month, people. Again, you can register for 50 bucks off the price of a ticket when you go to storygathering.com and type in the code MOVEMENT. I will be there. Harris will be there. A bunch of other Sounds Like a Movement podcast guests will be there. Plus, it's Nashville. It's September. You don't want to miss it. Register at storygathering.com. Thanks for listening to Sounds Like a Movement. For more conversations with weirdos, pioneers, disruptors, and make-believers, visit soundslikeamovement.com or wherever you get your podcasts.